I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And we love to watch. We love to watch. Aaron, are you all right, buddy? It's the last week of George Romero month, George Romero zombie month. We're doing Land of the Dead, a movie that you protected with all your might mm-hmm. so that no guest could come on and speak ill of it. It's my sweet bit of little baby boy. And I kept- sweet little baby boy. Keep him close. Hold it. Don't let anyone get it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an Aaron and Peter episode. We haven't had one of those in a while. These are usually uh, fun and not at all uh Filled with cuttable material that you guys never get to hear. Um, so, and, and Peter, a lot's changed in your life. Since we last spoke, you used to have a girlfriend, and now you have an ex-girlfriend. Yeah, uh, yeah. Current fiancé. Yeah, ex-girlfriend, current fiancé. Uh, I did get engaged uh, to the same person. I didn't break up with one person and then immediately jump ship into a engagement That'd be very intense. It's I, fine. I introduced my wife as my ex, ex-girlfriend. ex <laughs> <laughs> We live together. We got married. We have a kid. Saying fiance is so awful. I feel like saying ex-girlfriend is way preferable and then not explaining it. It's it's true. I, I said this to you in message that uh, my wife and I at some point just stopped calling each other uh, our fiance when we were engaged because we we hated it so much. Uh, it... it if you hear a bell in the background, that is my cat, who may end up in a room uh, by the end of this episode. Uh, <laughs> Why is not, a room? Uh, it's so obvious. Well, I, you know, it's a room that she'll be comfortable in. I don't know why generalized room sounds so <laughs> ominous. Why well, I, I haven't decided what room yet, but <laughs> it's definitely going to be a room with a closed door. Uh, what I always come back to when it comes to the word fiancé is that episode of uh, Seinfeld. It's where they're at the dinner party and they can't get out. It's an early episode and there's that that really uh, annoying lady who keeps saying, I can't find my fiancé. Where's my fiancé? Yeah, and and uh, Elaine I, and I Jerry are... my fiancé. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, Elaine and Jerry are making fun of him, or her. That word has been completely ruined by that episode of television for me. Oh, yeah, 100%. It's just like seeing um, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom completely ruined the idea of Nazism for me. The Temple of Doom one? The one without the Nazis? Oh, sorry. <laughs> I could not have picked a worse one. <laughs> Literally, you had a 50% chance. It's okay. It's not that funny of a joke. But, I was wondering yeah. where you were going with it when you said Temple of Doom. Like, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's when I stopped worshipping Kali, actually, was uh, after I saw Temple of Doom. Uh, it kind of had, like, a romantic appeal before, but now, eh. You know, I'm, I'm, I believe in tradition, you know. I believe in tradition. Good traditional Nazi values. <laughs> the real theories. Just to be clear, we've pivoted. We're now talking about Kali worshippers. Well, you said those are the bad guys in Indiana Jones movies. <laughs> oh, and yeah. the good guys, I assume, uh, in your mind, based on all of your Facebook pictures, <laughs> are the Nazis. Again, these these would be such good jokes two years ago, but think. Thank God that Nazis had to become a real threat again. Uh, Thanks, America. So, but thankfully, we're covering a movie, a really, uh, a movie where the good guys finally win. There's, uh, once again, um, 
Romero likes to pack his movies with characters, and we have like um, twenty thousand protagonists. I'd say in this movie, um, so, I feel like there's like six, maybe. No, I'd say about twenty thousand. Um, and okay. a lot of them die. A lot of them die. Uh, but some of them end up moving into a new apartment complex, and I think that's pretty great. To a deluxe apartment in the sky, moving on up. <laughs> quick, think of a zombie pun uh, <laughs> that somehow works with moving on up. Tell you what, short notice, even though we edit, I can't do it. M- moving on up. It sounded like you had an orgasm. <laughs> Which is well, not the same wait, thing. Wait, you, are zombies not just people walking around uh, coming in their pants all day? <laughs> well, I mean, uh, yeah, no, that's what they are. It's more obvious in shivers, but I thought like, yeah, that zombies were just walking around all day, nutting off, having a good time. That's that's why they need to eat people to fill up their gum reserves. <laughs> <laughs> people, don't, people don't know this, but human flesh, that fills up your cum reserves the quickest. That's why it's forbidden, because then you'd be walking around with too much cum. Too much. A federally uh, prohibitive amount of cum. And you'd be walking around like a zombie all day. Mm. Yeah. Moving on up. (laughs) Moving on up. Up. Sound like Jimmy Stewart or something. Moving on up. up. (laughs) Clarence, I'm coming in my pants. (laughs) All the time. Kill me. I'm going to throw myself off this bridge. (laughs) My Jimmy Stewart is only at his most high pitched. I don't modulate. (laughs) You know how like Jimmy Stewart, the whole point is that he kind of goes from like this uh, to this uh, when he gets excited. I'm all high, baby. All the high notes. So you're like that uh, Miley Cyrus album, Bangers, where it's just like, just the bangers. Like, there's no slow, boring-ass sad songs in here. Just No, that, music. you gotta get her other album. Yeah. Slowers. <laughs> Slowers. I'll tell you what, here's another fact about Miley Cyrus. Not great at album title names. <laughs> I blame Billy. Yeah, I blame Billy also. He did a, he did a few uh, songs, right? Yeah, he did uh, Are You Billy Ray? Who Wants to Know? Who Wants mm-hmm. to Know? He was um, in Mulholland Drive, and other than that, that's all I really need to know about him. He had, uh, I think, an angioplasty. (laughs) 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 I remember correctly. Something something was... Something... Baboon heart. Something happened. I don't remember. It was in all the papers. So it was successful. Well, I mean, if... He's doing his best. I'm impartial to it being successful or not. I know nothing about this person. You know what's fun? is like... In the 90s, like, Bill Hicks hated Billy Ray Cyrus. And, like, the, all these comics I listen to hate Billy Ray Cyrus. And then, like, uh, other than that, I haven't heard anything about him other than he's Miley Cyrus's dad. So I have, like, he truly, to me, is, like, a nothing. Well, I never listened to country, so he was, like, a, a pretty much a nothing to me uh, <laughs> as well. And then, and then sometimes, though, you are watching Bill Hicks, and he's talking about Rush Limbaugh, and you're like, oh, fuck, I know who that guy is fucking still. <laughs> you're like, this guy sounds like he sucks. Thank God yeah. he's gone. Oh, wait. Oh, oh, wait, he's still around? He's more relevant than ever, you say? <laughs> <laughs> Tell me less. Oh, all right. But, yeah, so I want to get into it. Uh, I want to get into talking about a movie where... This many heroes and a pretty happy ending for about 70% of them. So, Aaron, you keep saying there's like 20,000 heroes in this movie? Yeah, well, the first one, I know I didn't get a chance to talk about it because 
you know, eagle eagle eared listeners will notice that I that I wasn't in that episode. <laughs> because because uh as I was going to record, uh, some jackass bit me, um pronounced dead for a little bit, but I mean I've been back for Dawn of the Dead, another movie featuring thousands of protagonists, mm-hmm. uh, Day of the Dead. Uh, protagonists ruling the earth and the last few villains holding up in yeah. their compound. Um, and now here we we get we get them finally taking over the the city. So I think it's been a good I think it's been a good journey. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, I really you so know who would you say is the protagonist of Land of the Dead, starring Simon Baker and Robert Joy? Oh, I don't even know who those guys are. <laughs> okay, I mean most people don't. They were, but <laughs> well, I think eagle-eyed fans of the Mentalist would disagree. With you. He was in some of the episodes, from what I understand, uh, from reading the trades. I'm going to put a theory out there. I believe he was the Mentalist. He played the title card. He played the title card. He holds up the title card that says the name of the show, and oh, then another okay. actor steps in for the remainder of the program. I thought it was going to be like that too many cooks where it's just it's just Simon Baker laying on his side screaming. <laughs> the mentalist. So so who's the well, describe the characters? Who do you think is the protagonist of the movie? <gasps> well, I'll tell you what, that gas station attendant had it on the ball. That guy was oh. great. Loved that guy. Um Okay. I think he goes on a classic hero's journey. I would I mean, say I mean, yeah, look, yeah. I would say he is, you know, like the Jesus Christ of of the the good guys in Romero's world. Oh, oh! So you like you would even go so far as to go past protagonist to hero? Are, are you are you familiar with the uh, the the eleven points of the Greek myth of heroes? Uh I mean, yeah, for sure. Why don't you recount every last one to me in perfect Greek translation? Shh, hold on, I'm gonna Google some stuff real quick. <laughs> Un- unrelated. <laughs> Yeah, I, I hardly think this is the time because it's unrelated. Yeah, no, I just I forgot I forgot where I put my keys. <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying Big Daddy, the gas station attendant, you're saying he's He's my I'm saying he's my Big Daddy. <laughs> oh, so like the small boys from the film Big Daddy would call Adam Sandler the Big Daddy. Oh no, never. That would be an insult to the real Big Daddy. <laughs> the real Big Daddy, the gas station attendant dash leader of the zombie revolution in Land of the Dead. So you're, I, I called a I called a freedom revolution, but okay, okay. So I know George Romero sort of like wanted uh, our sympathies to be with the zombies for this movie, as well as with Day of the Dead, and you know, slowly throughout the series, more and more, he nailed it. For sure, for sure. Uh, and then it sort of drops off with Diary and Survival, I think. Um, but definitely peaks here. So I, I agree with you. Uh, big Daddy's kind of a big... What are the other heroes of the movie, do you think? Just in your... All those people that walk around with them going on their walks, as I like to call it. You know, oh. they, they're fitness nuts. Um, they're walkabouts. Yeah, and unfortunately... So there's these other people... Not great people wearing suits, living in the building, breathing. They have put a lot of obstacles in in uh, Big Daddy and his exercise enthusiast uh, team of people in their way. Uh, bridges that are down, uh, gates, all things that like. I don't, Peter, do you know about uh, fitness and running? Yeah, like a little bit about it. I know how important it is as you get on in age um, to to stay with a regimen and stay regular. Um, 
are so you go on these these walks with people yeah we sort we, of like big daddy people like yeah yeah exactly so i mean we try not to run because uh it's it's a little crude and i'll tell you what we do have some people that run in our group uh and they're pretty ostracized at this point <laughs> uh but uh, the, uh i wouldn't hang out with them we like to go on brisk walks as we call it uh with goals and purposes in mind and i'll tell you what peter if you know anything about walking or running you know the worst thing that you can run into is a gate oh man or a bridge well a bridge would be great not one that's up oh yeah that would be a troubled bridge over water i would say oh my god yeah no that would be a lot of trouble over water i would say it'd be a bridge over the river why because the bridge is up Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Bridge, bridge and, on the river. Why? Yeah. And you know, this is, some people might say, you know, um, uh, the bridges in Madison country. And I'd say I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that at all. I would say bridge over the trouble. Why? So, but I'm just saying, if like you just kept running into these kind of things, or and then you find out all these people that put up gates, raised bridges, are like randomly throwing shit in the air to stop the walks. You might go, hey. It's so hard once you get going with a workout. It's so hard if you get stopped to keep going. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, you know, they're angry. I think rightfully so. I think it's a righteous anger or an anger of the just. And they take back uh, the city so that no one distracts them with fireworks. And then they just get to walk around the building. You know, I kind of agree with you, Aaron. I I just want to, for today's opening game opening segment i just want to like kind of run you through some questions kind of like a get to know you for the audience maybe like a medical diagnostic um so how are you feeling today aaron uh you know i'm feeling a little slow uh you know i i kind of remember feeling better but i'm getting old yeah getting old my body doesn't move like it used to my heart doesn't beat uh like it used to irrelevant Um, my neighbors aren't around to wave high like they used to be so things have changed yeah so uh, how's your social life since the incident you said your neighbors are gone you say you're going out you found a nice group of a nice social group to go on these long uh walks as you call them some Um, of them used to be my neighbors ironically Oh, nice. Did you introduce them to this social club? Basically what happened was I went over to their house for dinner once, didn't finish, came back the next day, new guy, uh, much more much more accepting of me as a person, and we go now we go on walks. And, you know, that's been happening a lot lately. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you, so you went over there for dinner. What was served for dinner? You know, food. Food that gives you gives you the energy and the nourishment that you need for walks, Peter. And coming. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Have I told you how much I've been coming lately? It's a ridiculous amount. Would you say it's gone up since the incident? Oh, way up. Okay. Way up. Not my penis. My penis is uh, flaccid uh, like, a, like a slug, like a slug fest. Got it. Um, but it just – I keep coming. Yes. Okay. Um. Have you detected any new odors on yourself since the incident? New odors? <laughs> yeah, like something different. Like maybe, you know, more than well, like body odor that you would have run into before from just, you know, not showering or, or anything like that. I mean, maybe, but I think the, the issue is that uh, my washing machine doesn't work anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I was trying to, trying to do a load of laundry the other day. Um, 
And man, I just cannot figure out how to work those buttons. So I just kept smashing it with my hands until it, until it was broken. Um, and that called happened. the repair guy. Uh, you know, if anyone asks, he never came over. <laughs> <laughs> Did you happen to pick up the phone afterwards and say, send more repairmen? <laughs> oh, yeah. No. Every day. <laughs> They've yet to fix it. I got to tell you. Wow. That is disappointing. You know, I feel like the American service industry is just really going down the tubes. Um, how much pain do you experience in the following activities? Um, I'm going to just walk up to you. What's my scale? Um, let's give it You're on like a scale a of five. pain to one to five. Which one, which one's the most one being like, not at any, anything really, uh, and five being extremely painful. Okay. Um, not a lot of nuance in that scale. <laughs> not at all. People usually do the 10 scale, but mm, not you. So, uh, <laughs> all right. So I'm just going to hit your knee with this little, little hammer. You ready? Just tell me when you're going to do it. I, I did, so I'm going to say that's a one. Sure. Sure. I mean, I don't... Numbers are tough, but okay. Okay, cool. Um, So I'm going to just uh, pinch your cheek. Uh, What would you rate that in the scale? Whenever you do it, you let me know. Uh, Also, a one. Okay. Um, I'm just going to... Just a sec. <sighs> All right. Took my belt off. Um, I'm just going to lash you on the back six, seven, as many times as I want. anytime okay that's that's uh it's about seven seven lashes peter um, i mean honestly are you even here because i haven't felt anything and oh i see the problem i forgot my eyeballs popped out again ah that'll yeah. happen <laughs> one final test um, yeah i'm gonna hold this blowtorch what test in your face i thought we we're just having conversation isn't this how you conversate with people you know, like, sometimes you know someone for a really long time, but you don't. You feel like you know them all a little late for an icebreaker, but okay. We change so much as people as the years go on. Sometimes you do need to break the ice with people you think you've known forever, you know? Because um, because the winter storms have come, and you need to rethaw your relationship. So true. So true. So I'm going to hold a blowtorch in front of your face and just tell me when you feel something. Uh, anything? Again, my eyes are out, so let me know when it started with verbal cues. Okay. Uh, so, uh, yeah, you. Uh, not, none of those came out that... Seems like you have a high threshold for pain, uh, if I had to say. It's just, real quick, have you been more prone to violence since the incident? Well, I mean... <laughs> would you say that when you go to McDonald's to order a burger, Peter... Would you say that you were committing a – that makes you more prone to violence because the McDonald's people have to slaughter all those sheep or whatever it is you're eating? I mean, that's a loaded question. I don't – there's no ethical consumption under capitalism. And I got to say, have you read The Fountainhead? <laughs> that's quite a trajectory. I'm you just – I'm, I'm just saying. To socialist I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying they're turning the frogs gay, Peter. So uh, maybe maybe think about that before you ask questions like that. I can't here's the thing. I can't stop thinking about how the frogs are gay. Yeah. Well, Alex Jones said they're they are. 
don't know who they are, but they have amazing powers. They have amazing powers. They can uh, conjure homosexuality out of the void. Just to frogs. It's a very it's a very specific power. But they're starting with frogs, though. I think they're going to move their way up. Most people start with mice, not these guys. That's how crafty they are. Yeah. So, Aaron, I just want to just real quick just play something for you. And just tell me how you react. Let's just see how you react physically. Okay. Okay, so you appear to be, you appear to be shuffling, dancing, doing like a choreographed sort of dance number. Well, but it's like, thri- it's Thriller Night, Peter. So, so you're you know this song. Oh yeah, no, it's uh, it's literally the, uh, this and the Monster Mash are exclusively my only Spotify plays over the last few weeks. <laughs> well, oh, actually, Graveyard Smash. Uh, yeah, actually, uh. Yeah, I have been listening to this song by the by the Cranberries a lot too. That I love. Uh, what song would that be? Uh, Linger. It's heartbreaking. Oh, oh, really I... gets me gets me right in the the chest. Have you have you heard the song by the Cranberries? N- never mind. Anyways, so do you sleep much nowadays, Aaron? Since the incident, uh, I've been having a lot of five hour energies, <laughs> so I've been really active. You know, by active, of course, I mean shuffling slowly through my house, but not so much sleeping. It sounds like you've been reading a lot of Marx and then the Fountainhead. Um, Oh, yeah. No, I things get jumbled up pretty good in my brain right now. (laughs) You must love Big Daddy partially also because he's a man of the people taking down, you know, the, the, the oligarchs at the top, the fat cats, if you will. Great Walker. So final question. Do you consider yourself sort of a symbolic stand in for the uh, ills of America at certain content at certain contemporary points? Uh, in history? Well, I mean, I've lived a long time. Like, do you think, like, maybe, like, your very existence could have been conjured to represent, you know, societal forces like consumerism or... Well, let's see. It's 2017. Peter, have I ever told you my my middle name? Uh, no. What's your middle name, Aaron? Uh, Rise of American Nationalism. <laughs> it's Aaron... The rise of American nationalism, uh, Armstrong. I didn't know that. Uh, Not on my birth certificate. I was born in 1983. Uh, back then, my name was Aaron. Reaganomics are going to kill us all, Armstrong. <laughs> <laughs> you I know, had to change legally in the courts. Mm, yeah. That's Can't what, ask the, the judge. The courts. Gone. Those courts, they'll get you. They made my son change his name. He wanted to be named Adolf Satan Hitler. All of a sudden, this judge comes in, tells me I have to name him Pope John Paul II. Yeah, that's why you got to protect the Supreme Court. <laughs> I, I, you know what? I, I know I'm going to go the other way. I think that they should not only have a Supreme Court up there holding supreme power, but I think you should fill it with the last remaining members of the band, the Supremes. Ideally, that that would be better than our current makeup. Of the Supreme Court, yes. It would be, yeah, way, way better. I'm gonna, um, I want to circle back to something you said when you said up there, how high do you think the Supreme Court is uh, off the ground? Uh, Are you confusing the Supreme Court building and the Washington Monument? Here's the thing. People think that by saying the Supreme Court is the highest court in the land, they mean in terms of, you know, judicial power. What they really mean is feet above sea level. Verticality, baby. Verticality. 
BB. So they're on uh, Mount Olympia, um, throwing down thunderbolts. The highest. Making people make cakes for gay people, just doing all of it. Fun fact, Supreme Court located in Greece. Well, yeah. The summers there. The summers. Oh, you got to be there for the summers. Which is, again, look at that. Liberal judges in Greece. Why do you think they're in a recession and their currency's worthless? Because there's not a $20 minimum wage. Greece lightning. Am I right? Yeah, you are. <laughs> it's burning up the heat wave now. Keep talk. Hey, keep talking. Yo, keep talking. <laughs> These zombies will cream. That's grease lightning. Oh, man. I, zombies do cream, like we said, <laughs> all the time. That's dick talk. That's coming out of your dick talk. <laughs> it's nice to know that before the incident and after the incident, same amount of dick talk, maybe more. Yeah, if anything, more. So, Aaron, um, I have like a computer I'm using to sort of assess you, punched out some really troubling numbers. So, I, I guess you're doing some sort of quiz. Did I win? Um, yeah, well, it's not really like a win or a lose kind of quiz. It's more of a, um, are you alive or are you a member of the living dead kind of quiz? And like, honestly, I'm not a doctor. I I can't give you these results, but it's just good for my knowledge. And I'm going to slowly back out of your house now. Um, so I'm going to take the rest of this, uh, this, uh, episode, uh, over the phone. Oh, so like normal. Yeah, just normal. Uh, I came over. Peter, look, 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 look. I feel like I get what you're trying to say. Just ask me straight out, buddy. Aaron, the reason I had to leave is. Have you been using shitty vegan deodorant that doesn't really work? Because you smell awful. I've definitely been using vegans, yes. (laughs) No, vegans are great. Very healthy. (laughs) It's like eating Because they take care of themselves. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, Aaron, do you maybe want to talk about this movie that's inspired you so much? Uh, I... Heroes of the Apartment? Yep, that was what my title was called. Mine was called Land of the Dead, but maybe that's like a European title or something? Yeah, there's a lot of cuts from Argento. <laughs> Mostly floating around. Of on his daughter. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I want the shots just for me. And he's like, Dar- Dario, I'm not making her take her top off for this shot. I feel like there's a story about Dario Argento and Asia Argento I don't want to hear about. <laughs> <laughs> you don't. <laughs> do you want to talk about? Do you want to do you want to think of a better transition <laughs> into this episode? No. All right. Let's talk about Land of the Dead. Let's talk about a Land of the Dead. (laughs) All right. So, so Peter, I'm the 90-second recap. Uh, You are the alternate tagline. Give it as, uh, as someone much smarter than me said. Hit me with your best shot. So just to clarify, you don't want me to murder you with a weapon? Uh, was that what Pat Benatar was implying? <laughs> murder me with a gun. Fire <laughs> Shoot <away. me. laughs> Oh my gosh, it was more on point than we thought. You didn't have to change that next lyric at all. It's like, perfect, someone get Weird Al on the phone. We got an idea for his next tip. <laughs> uh, 
when there's no more room in hell, the dead will organize a union. It's pretty good. That is the first take on that bit. Not a failed other take. <laughs> that <laughs> Just was to similar. clarify. First try. Yeah, uh, something about okay. like, uh, you, you know, maybe the war on terror was on zombies instead. Maybe we were the zombies in the war on terror. <laughs> oh, <laughs> think about that. Have you have you seen Fahrenheit 9-11? Uh, all right. Anyway. <laughs> have you seen so, change? So look, I kind of gave a 90-second recap earlier in this episode about how I thought the movie had progressed. I got to tell you, Peter, since you seemed a little skeptical, I went and looked on Wikipedia, and I got to tell you, the consensus plot of this movie is a little different than than my interpretation of it. But I know you're a huge fan of consensus, Peter. <laughs> if I had a name for you, I would call you the consensus taker. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I'm going to read the plot that I found on Wikipedia for the movie Land of the Lost. So, stars Will Ferrell. Originally based on a Sid and Marty Croft uh, television show. Uh, Danny McBride, Anna Friel, he's a scientist. All right. Mm-hmm. And then he he finds like a portal and he goes like into this world where there's still dinosaurs. And um, it ends up thinking he's like saving the world from these monkey men. They meet a good monkey man. And uh, uh, eventually he his tape recorder is taken by a pterodactyl. Oh, hate when that happens. And uh, and he finds the tape recorder, and uh, they they make friends with the T Rex, and they uh, they get back at the evil monkey man who's stuck in this portal, who's actually using them, and they go back to the real world. And uh, Will Ferrell's character is interviewed on Matt Lauer, and that is Land of the Dead. Much different than I thought, but again, Wikipedia never wrong. Um. So, Aaron, just real quick. That synopsis was for a, a different movie than what I watched. But Land of the Dead. It, oh, it, wait. Look, so I'm looking at what I pulled up here on Wikipedia. I may have had a typo. See, I the problem I, is... So, let me tell you how autofill works. <laughs> <laughs> so, what I've done here, Peter, uh, is not give you the recap of George Romero's Land of the Dead... But of Brad Silberling's 2009 uh, Land of the Lost movie. Uh, it's an easy mistake to make. Do you want to just talk about Land of the Lost instead? I kind of like it. We'll save that for a future episode. I've never seen it, but let me just get out get on the table. Uh, hop on the floor. Get on the floor. Everybody do the dinosaur. That's from a different great movie. <laughs> <laughs> Three stars. Uh, so, Land of the Dead. So, the Romero zombie apocalypse uh, world has has gone into a different stage where it's gone bananas, if you will. Yeah, it's yep. Clint Eastwood's there, and uh, what's? Never mind. <laughs> I was trying to remember the movie where he has a monkey going bananas. I don't think that's what it's called. <laughs> Bed- bedtime for Bozo. <laughs> Bongo? I think it's Reagan. I think it's, yeah. Big time for Bonzo. <laughs> you, you only know that from bad Saturday Night Live sketches. 100%, yes. 
So the zombie Romero apocalypse world has progressed. And now there is a society. Kind of a mini version of our society. And they live in Fiddler's Green, uh, which is this big city. So Fiddler's Green is actually the, the big building at the center that has great condos and suites. No Fiddlers, though. No Fiddler. I saw it. Zero Fiddlers. Get it together, Romero. You feel um, like legally they would have to have one Fiddler. At least a flutist. Yeah. A flautist. A fl- flautist. A flautist. <laughs> um, so... This recap is entering its 15th minute. Um, but Marcus had a really good suggestion for no, Living Dead. Yeah, no, I, I heard we it. set up a timer. Hey, if you're listening, Marcus, it's not how we do it on my show. It's not how we do it on my show. It's not how we do it in my town. <laughs> you want Arnold and New Yorker. <laughs> listen, we gotta get, listen, you got to get out of here and not be on my podcast. <laughs> It's a really great way to thank somebody who filled in at the final hour when you were dying. Yeah, replaced is what I call it. I guess you were dying because you're fine now. Yeah, I got better. Uh, so, there's a, there's a building. Dennis Hopper's like the president of the building, the, the condo association. And it is like a little country. Um, all the rich people live in Fiddler's Green. All the poor people kind of get by on the streets and all the wealthy people they they like hey go to your strip shows and you're gambling and they let organized crime because that keeps the poor people happy kind of fighting amongst each other uh while they're able to kind of live their life of luxury and obviously though because they don't have stuff like walmart trucks to deliver all their their good stuff from china Capitalism, uh, am I right? God, it's the worst. Uh, everybody should get their trains and move away. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm going to spend the rest of the episode getting all political philosophies uh, mixed up. Uh, so, Everyone should have their own train. You should drive it away. Welcome to Tiny Train World. Um, some people say I have to vote Democrat. Some people have to say I have to vote Republican. I choo choo choose a third path. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> so what? So what they do is they send out these crews, led by Simon Baker and John Leguizamo, out into the zombie wasteland to pick up supplies. John Leguizamo has been saving up to move into one of the condos to work his way up into a better class um, by running all these errands. When he does. Uh, when he does finally say, hey, I made enough money, Dennis Hopper, let me live in your condo, Dennis Hopper's like, I'm standing for George W. Bush and I'm racist. Get out. <laughs> Not great. Legazamo's like, oh, really? Fuck you. I'm going to take your special armored car that we go out and get supplies, take its missiles, aim it at Fiddler's Green, and hold you, uh, become a terrorist, if you will. Uh, very, very subtle allegory, but you can pick up on it. Uh, yeah, at one point he said you... he's going to pull a jihad on your ass. Yeah, and at one point, Dennis Hopper says, we don't negotiate with terrorists. It's really hard to pick up, but trust me, go watch Fahrenheit 911, and then go watch Fahrenheit 911, both sides. <laughs> and Reno uh, 911, just for balance. Yeah, definitely watch Reno 911, because that's going to be the best one. No, oh, yeah. Those three. <laughs> oh, for sure. <laughs> um, and uh, all the zombies that they've they've noticed very suddenly are getting a little smarter. In some ways, it's a natural progression from Bub and Day of the Dead. Uh, but they are like, hey, led by Big Daddy, uh, or Jesus Christ, as I call him. <laughs> I'm just going to um, call him Big Daddy? Sure, you do. You do you. Uh, so he is, he's kind of leading this, this charge. He's like, hey, 
He's kind of through grunts and moans. He's indicating to the zombies that, hey, all these, all our food is in this giant building. So they start walking towards, they run into some obstacles, as were previously mentioned. Uh, they get through most of them as they're, and eventually they hit water. And Big Daddy, sort of like Jesus Christ, but instead of walking on water, he walks under the water. But under the water, way, carry the water. Ends up on the other side, A-OK. And all of his uh, apostles follow him. And now they're in a position to to raid the city. Uh, meanwhile, Dennis Hopper has dispatched Simon Baker. Says, hey, go get my missiles. Simon Baker's like, great. If I do that, give me a car so I can get the fuck out of here. And Dennis Hopper's like, sure. So, long story short, John Leguizamo gets bitten. Uh, Simon Baker battles some zombies. All the zombies get that were walking towards Fiddler's Green get there. They destroy the town. Dennis Hopper attempts to attempts to escape. Meanwhile, John Leguizamo has been bit by a zombie. He shows back up, ready to enact some revenge with the help of Big Daddy. Uh, they Adam play a tense, yeah. Adam Sandler and uh, John Leguizamo's character from Summer of Sam Fresh play a tense, tense game of cat and mouse. Uh, and then they blow up Dennis Hopper and Simon Baker, seeing that the zombies have taken their natural environment back, says. Let's get out of here. I'm out Let's go to Canada. Muchachos. And I'm going to say it in the least charismatic way possible, because I'm Simon Baker, and I have one acting mode. And I am the only Simon Baker defender, just spoiler alert for the rest of... You know what I dig in this movie? What? Coat-shirt combo. <laughs> <laughs> real nice. Looking real nice. I'm not kidding. I, like, I remember seeing this movie in theaters, and I'm like, I like that coat. <laughs> good coat good coat it's like a pea coat like an old like navy pierman pea coat but it's like you know it's nice i liked mm-hmm. it none of my pea coats that i bought ever ever looked like that that was that was my pea coat stitch i wanted to lock down and i Ooh, it's been I, 13 I, years and i never 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 was able to lock it down i was i was in a similar situation you know what i think our problem was we are not handsome we, we don't have personal trainers and um perfect bone structure yeah. No, well, because that's the thing. He's got the long coat, but his shirt is like a type of shirt that even when I was in way better shape, I would have been like, that's too short of a shirt. Yeah. Like, you get, it's got to go down a little past the belt. That thing's like, yeah. that's like perfectly between midriff. Like, if he lifted his hands up, which he never does in this movie, that's how they get you. So they confuse you about what a normal fashion body's supposed to be like. Yeah. But if he ever lifted his hands up, you'd see his belly button and people would yeah. be like, hmm. And no, then you would you. have to play with it in scenes because actors use what's in front of them. And he'd like Asia Argento would be talking to him and he'd go like, eh. Yeah. You know how Brad Pitt uh, like is always eating food to enhance his craft? Simon Baker's thing is playing with his belly button. Um, so Simon Baker, I will say right off the bat, I really like him in this movie. And it kind of kicks off my uh, whole reason I like this movie. Is I consider this like the post-zombie movie zombie movie. Yeah. It, it's somehow even more relevant, I think, as the years go on and we make more and more zombie movies because it is a movie, a zombie movie where everybody is kind of aware of the tropes. Nobody has to have a discussion really about it as much. We get to learn about the new stuff, like the sky flowers, the fireworks and like how the fiddler, the fiddler's green is set up like that sort, sort of world building. But like the movie is kind of assuming we already know how zombies work and like we're kind of over it. And the movie movie gets better as the years go on because, like, 
it is sort of not just supposed to be after Day of the Dead. It's supposed to be after, like, any other zombie movie plus a generation. The first thing I should say is that I saw this movie in theaters, which was because I had had watched all the other uh, Romero movies before this. So, I mean, I and I love those as we talked about. So, I mean, I was psyched for this movie, like and it got good reviews and I really liked it when I saw it. I've watched it a couple times since then. So I do like this movie, but I don't think it hits the same level as his first three movies. But it also doesn't hit the the downward slope of his next two, uh, in my opinion. But I am going to kind of disagree with you, Peter, because I feel like one thing that this movie is missing that his that his other zombie movies do a great job of is having confidence to uh, to not explain stuff to the audience. And this movie, I think, tries to cram a little bit too much exposition into every scene. Like, you know, at the very first scene, they're explaining how sky flowers uh, work to someone who's like out there on his first mission and not to be like a nitpicker, but it's like, well, they probably would have explained what they, they're, they're really going out to dangerous wastelands. They probably wouldn't be explaining their like main mode of strategy of distracting zombies on the fly. But also, it, it, you know, it's, it's that normal movie trope of trying to have two characters explain something. So the audience gets it. And that happens a couple times in this movie. And it, Having just watched, you know, night and um, dawn and day in the last couple weeks, that really doesn't happen. There's like almost no explaining in any of those movies. And I don't know if it's just a lack of confidence that Romero had or just um, kind of getting beaten down by 20 years since Day of the Dead of of kind of his films taking drubbings and really trying to make a more mainstream version that he kind of felt the need to, to underline some points a little bit too um, – Dude, not underlying points, but get gets a little more exposition heavy than his previous three movies. And and I only noticed it especially having watched the other three so recently. It was so clear which one was over explaining compared to the other three. So I I'm what I'm saying is less about world building over explaining because I'm sure a lot of that's in there and a lot of it has to do with the fact that it was he was given fifteen million dollars to play around with and the movie does like look pretty damn good it looks really good um i i'm that's more of like new world building what i'm saying gotcha. is that this movie exists in a universe where we already understand zombies how zombie bites yep. work everybody when you die you get turned into a zombie which doesn't really play into this as much except for a deleted scene uh it's more so the bite kills you turns you into a zombie in this one because it's a movie about war and conflict it's not about people really um in stasis, eventually someone gets cancer and dies or someone kills themselves yeah. and they rise again. It's more about like conflict and stasis. So that's why it's more bite focused. So my point was more that they're, they're over explaining the world, I think, for sure. The dialogue is super obvious. Sometimes lines that are supposed to be really funny are actually kind of like tinnered and, and wrong. But like the, yeah. the actors do their best with it. I think the actors are well directed doing bad dialogue like i think simon baker makes some really clumsy lines work same with asia argento and uh, let's be honest dennis hopper and john Langozamo are the key uh, dialogue speakers of this movie uh so yeah and also like eugene clark i think it gives an amazing physical performance as big daddy doesn't speak that much more of a guttural utterance kind of thing but um So I think that Johnny Leguizamo and uh, Johnny L, Johnny L, uh, and Dennis Hopper, Denny H, take 
<laughs> take a, a lot of very obvious, often clunky dialogue and just make it work. Yeah. John Leguizamo is a hero, dude. He can make like anything work. The only the only movie I don't like John Leguizamo is that I think he's bad in. Like that he's actually bad in is Super Mario Brothers, which is a movie I like overall, but think Bob Hoskins and John Leguizamo are terrible in it. But hey, this is a Super Mario Brothers reunion and Dennis Hopper and Leguizamo are back, baby. Luigi, Koopa, this is the sequel. That we this were is the promised. movie where Luigi's coming in, like, groveling to Koopa, and then gets mad and decides he's going to blow up all of uh, Koopa Town or whatever. Yeah, um, that was the part that he left unexplained. But I, I agree with you. He he is able to kind of push forward with zombies. It's the part that I feel like he has lost confidence in the audience or something, or it's studio notes, is that, man, there's just a lot of, like, he, he's it, it feels like he's rushing in some areas. Like, the zombies becoming so smart so quickly, and then everyone's commenting on it. You know, like, oh, hey, something changed today, opening scene of the movie. Uh, it, it feels like it could have used a build. It feels like it's missing the structure of the Romero zombie movies. All of the other movies have this great structure of kind of action, silence, action. And this one d- definitely goes for more of the action throughout. It doesn't it doesn't have a lot of those moments where the where your world bid- building by like seeing the characters in action and um talking about existence and what they're and all the kind of stuff that we saw in the other kind of three movies or figuring out how to solve problems. And I would have liked to see a little more of that. I would have liked to see more of like even Fiddler's Green when the zombies kind of um overthrow it. Uh it's like basically the first time we've seen much of Fiddler's Green. Like we didn't get that same sense of like the mall in Dawn of the Dead where you see the mall, you see the mall, you see the mall, and then all of a sudden when it's overrun by zombies. Yeah, they didn't have the money to give Fiddler's Green geography. They show it's basically one single strip that we see yeah. people enjoying themselves in, and then we see that strip get invaded. Yeah, like I could have used a commercial. Like they show that commercial in the background. I would have liked like a Paul Verhoeven, like do the whole commercial. Um and it's just it, and and the only reason it's frustrating is because this is a really you know great four star movie. I just can't help but think that like man, 1985, 1978, George Romero would have made this a five star masterpiece. And I I almost feel like it's not even Romero's fault. <laughs> you I know? think this and Day of the Dead, both of the the movies, the faults are very much not with Romero, except for the dialogue in this. I think that's true for Day of the Dead. What I mean by this one is it has the sense in some way of like a – someone who – like an alcoholic who has been given a lot of chances and he feels like this is his final chance and he can't fuck it up this time. Like this needs to be his 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 big thing and he's been given the all the confidence and stuff like that. And when you're under that much pressure, you probably do stuff a little bit weird and i think that this is kind of a terrible metaphor but my point is is that all those kind of things of like that he's over explaining to the audience that he never did i think it feels almost a little bit like well fuck 
you know, Day of the Dead wasn't successful, and I and I didn't explain it that much to the audience. So maybe maybe this time I gotta explain it more, and then people will get it, and I'll be able to make more of these movies, and and my vision's gonna resonate more. Like that's random speculation on my part, but that's the sense I get from watching this movie. I can get some of that because it does feel like this is for sure the last time that George was allowed to play around with this much money. He Diary of the Dead and Survival of the Dead both have very small budgets. Um, survival of the Dead, and it, I feel like the budget shows a lot. Diary doesn't as much because Diary is such a. He decided to work with the budget. He was like, "I'm going to make a found footage movie, and I'm yep. going to I'm going to work with the conceits and just follow the small group as they're sort of roving the countryside, which means like you can save a lot of money." Um, but Survival feels like it's trying to build this like uh, this whole town, but like it just feels like an amateur production this feels like land of the dead feels like george's chance to you know prove to himself that you know and prove to the world that like hey i've still fucking got it yeah and as such he doesn't have the same confidence the movie did all right i doubt it made much money at all it made 46 million dollars worldwide on a 15 million dollar budget which if you take into account marketing costs and all that like that's probably not worth the risk for them yeah he would he would have done so great in the uh a24 blumhouse blumhouse uh era how did blumhouse not figure out a way to make him make i feel like they were i feel like they were giving a, a lot of new people chances but a lot of times you know what ends up happening is they give the new people chances they make their name and then they come back to those horror veterans that are like hey what do you want to do because i'm a fan of your work because you're 40 years older than me. <laughs> so I, what I've heard from about John Carpenter, which I know it's probably unfair to generalize about my heroes, but the old horror guys, just people from filmmakers from a different generation is more what I'm generalizing about. John Carpenter, what I've heard about is like people come to him all the time with offers and they'll come and sit in his kitchen with him and, and say like, we got these these two great ideas for you that we're working on. We just want you to be involved in some way. You can sit more backside with a producer role or, you know, if you want, you can co-direct or you can direct or whatever. And then he'd be like, I'm not that interested. I'd rather do this because like he's used to just a different. And this is playing Sonic and Knuckles. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) He's like, "Uh, I don't want to do that. Not till I get all the chaos emeralds. (laughs) But I don't want to do that exact thing. You know what I want to exactly do? Spend some time with my old friend, uh, Miles Prower, a.k.a. Miles Prower. Let me tell you a little bit of something about that. Uh, His name is Tails. Tails flies on his tail. He can't really die. And then people have left his kitchen. Like, it's like, oh, you don't want to play two player? You can lift it up. You can lift up Sonic with Tails. We use Tails Sonic 2. You can lift him up. You don't want to. Hello. So, so I don't know about George, George Romero, but I do know with, at least with John Carpenter that John Carpenter specifically is like, this specific project does not interest me any more than me staying home and playing Borderlands or Sonic. So, no. Yeah, and that's fine. But Romero really wanted to make, like... Romero got all weird about being in Masters of Horror, too. Yeah. Like, I don't know what... Maybe Romero just didn't adjust to the next generation of indie filmmaking after him that well. Yeah. And this... And Land of the Dead really does feel like his swan song in a lot of ways, even though he made a couple movies after, because it still feels of a piece with his first three movies. But you can tell that, like... 
some of that confidence and some of that, um, you know, fuck the system, we're going to make a movie energy just feels a little lost. And it feels more like, okay, we need to make a movie that does well this time. How do I make a movie that does well? And and those choices that seem to be directly aimed at holding the audience's hands are the ones that hold the movie back from being as great as Dawn. But again, I really like this movie. That's kind of where I'm at from uh, – you know, why I just don't think it reaches the level of the first three. But there's a lot of really good stuff to talk about. The last thing I got to say, Peter, though, my one other big complaint with this movie. I wish you would have kept the original title because I like Twilight of the Dead better than Land of the Dead. I think Land of the Dead is a super appropriate title for this movie in a vacuum. But Twilight of the Dead would have been really fun. As much, I, George Romero is one of my heroes. I've spoken extensively this month about how much I love him and I think he's a genius. And this is a movie that I defend knowing it has a lot of flaws in it. But I think that most of the, the movie transcends those flaws in a lot of ways. And I'll get to that. But partially, the one of the problems is I think that like the, the way the Hollywood system works is it relies on... It treats a lot of old filmmakers the way it treats young filmmakers, where it's like, we're going to give you a shot, but you got to bend over backwards for us. And the old filmmakers very often are like, I don't know how to do that, or I refuse to do that. Yeah. Um, and the young filmmakers... Was that often, cell phone? Yeah. And the young Get filmmakers very here. often like... I know the technology and I will bend over backwards for my first shot, right? Like I I, yeah. I want to be at least able to make some, you know, commercial products so I can get my chance to make my Night of the Living Dead. Whereas George is like, man, this doesn't feel right. And then it go, the opportunity goes away. So it's just sort of a tragedy of how Hollywood works that like there's not yep. space for people like George and John Carpenter. John Carpenter, I'm so happy he's in a music right now because like – he would just be sitting at home doing nothing, I think, otherwise. Let me tell you, we love to watch audience. You might think that Peter's mugging a little, but I honestly believe that Peter wakes up in the middle of the night worried about what John Carpenter, how, how he's spending his time. I worry about him because, like, part of me is like, I want to play Destiny with John Carpenter. And the other half of me is like, this dude is still so angry and so present in interviews. And I don't want to play Destiny. But that's what he said he played in a recent interview. Um, you should talk to him about Bloodborne. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we should just have interviewers come in and, like, sneak in what games he should play. Because, like... He liked Shadow the Hedgehog. <laughs> Stop having your grandkids buy games for you in the bargain bin <laughs> and he's like, oh, oh yeah oh yeah grandpa all the kids love uh sonic 2006 where he wants to fuck that woman <laughs> it's transgressive we found out the john carpenter a furry definitely but yeah i 100%. do actually it's a i'm 100 percent serious like i do genuinely worry that like john carpenter okay you're you <laughs> i thought you, you just said he's a furry and then you go i am 100 percent serious <laughs> you can apply that to either the statement before or after yeah you choose less yeah, you, you ever heard of choose your own adventure books <laughs> Choose which one you think I'm being sincere about. I, I want John Carpenter to be able to get his his last chance because I don't want him to go out like George, where George's last six, seven interviews I read were all like, I want to get this off the off the ground. He wanted to make some weird rock zombie movie called uh, The Diamond Dead. Never happened. I was waiting for that for, that for years. Like, I, I, I want 
I want our heroes to be able to like say goodbye in a way that's satisfying. Like Clint Eastwood got to say goodbye like six times, and now he's still making movies. Yeah. <laughs> I want, yeah. I want Orson be- Welles. Unicron Transformers movie, love it. <laughs> what did he say? I'm playing an action figure in space or something. <laughs> he said something way worse than that. But jokes on you, Orson Welles. That's the first movie of yours I saw, and I, I love it. I imagine that's the first movie most people of our generation saw him in. But anyway, but but my my other point was that I do, I do genuinely love this movie, and one of the reasons that I love it, I'll get right into it. So yeah, it's it's I think it's a post zombie movie zombie movie. I think Simon Baker being cast was something that is something people kind of make fun of because he's like kind of blandly charming, bland. I don't think anyone handsome. made fun of it at the time. Oh, I, mean, no. I saw it when it came out. It was just like, oh, this guy's a cool kind of Britishy dude. When I saw it in 2005 also, uh, I saw it with my brother, who uh, my brother Charlie, who I love very much and he would take me <laughs> and encourage my he encouraged my horror movie habits from like a very young age and he took me to go see this movie when I was like whatever 2005. I would have been 14. Um, yeah. Sometimes Charlie encouraged bad stuff. Yeah. <laughs> like all the cocaine. But in this case Charlie did good. <laughs> Um, we just told my mom that Charlie got me into cocaine. I got him into cocaine. Oh, it's great when younger brothers can influence their older brother's life. That doesn't happen that much. He, he got me into energy drinks. And I was like, listen, I got some. Oh, my God. Have you heard of energy that. dust? <laughs> they come in energy balls. <laughs> oh, oh, they're so great. So, uh, yeah, I uh, at the time, I also just like took him as like a generalized protagonist but the way he's so blasé about everything and then he finally does decide to like stand up to you know assholes and bullies and people and he gets like excited feels really natural it feels really natural and feels like a western movie in a a sense like in the way post-apocalyptic movies do it's just he doesn't have the same natural charm that mel gibson has that like mel gibson just standing (laughs) leaning against a pole can't think of a worse example well pretend i mean you're right look Look, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to talk about it in Lethal Weapon. Fine, um, uh, fucking uh, Tom Hardy in Mad Max. <laughs> so Tom Hardy in Mad Max, leaning against a wall. He can lean against a wall and just make like a fucking like eyebrow raise at somebody, and he just like exudes charm. Simon Baker doesn't have the same quality, but he's kind of doing the the Western post apocalyptic yeah. thing where he great coat. He just kind of roll. He, he's like a uh, kind of over everything, and he just kind of wants to like get his get his nut and get out of there he's always motivated to go to the next scene like he's not like a he's not like a waterlogged character where you're just like what is he doing here he you always know what he's doing he's still got his humanity he never at any point in the movie kind of like goes the legazamo route where it's like yeah that dude's dead shoot him in the head like he almost to a reckless point uh, wants to wants to save people. Wants to make sure people get out alive. He has a he, get out alive. He has a sense that um, there's not many people left, and it's kind of you know like a lot of heroes in these situations. It's not just about he doesn't have anything he wants except you know preserving the human race. Uh, he has a better sense of what that takes than the the fat cats upstairs. Um, and, and it it feels like he's just had enough of seeing, um, people killed and that's why he's going to go out and live in the woods or whatever he's going to do. Probably he's going to, probably, probably going to die in 30 minutes, but, uh, his, cause his whole thing is he just wants to get away from this city that has kind of, 
uh, dehumanized everyone as much as uh, zombies and the zombie plague has. He's reacting, I think, also to the evils that he's seen in his own way, his own story, and that we've seen in the previous movies. People being selfish, people being panicky, people turning in on each other and getting sour and, you know, him deciding that, like, there's got to be another way. Like, I can, like, transcend sort of a continuation of what Day of the Dead is, and and we we can kind of get into it. This movie was basically like started as like the leftovers from Day of the Dead that George didn't get to direct. We talked about it that that started as like a 200 page script um, and this was kind of part of it. Now I've read some conflicting accounts but my sense of it is that in his original version of Day of the Dead there was always supposed to be this city and the military and a scientist operation was part of that city. Like that was a component of this this broader uh uh, civilization that was going on in the wake of the zombie apocalypse. And when he had to cut that down, he basically took out the city and just made about the the scientist military conflict. Which, you know, I would love to have seen the alternate universe where these two movies were smushed together into like a three-hour zombie epic. But yeah. I like both the movies and the both movies got to be made. So, like, I'll settle for our reality because it's the only reality I have. So Simon Baker is um, similar to the previous movies. At the end of it, people kind of peeling off and saying, like, this system isn't working in Day of the Dead. This system isn't working. We need to get the fuck away from this and, like, go live our own life far away from people because, like, living with people is going to just lead to more of the same bullshit over and over again. In that same sense, he's taking his own party to go north to create his own civilization And it's triumphant in the moment, as all of these things would be. But in the back of your head, you're thinking, is he going to become another Kaufman, another Dennis Hopper type? Yeah, and that's one of the great things about all these Romero movies is that, with the exception of the first one, they all end on some level of upbeat note. Like, there is triumph, right? I mean, in – if – if you totally missed the allegory, I guess you could also say that about the first one because uh, they're killing all the zombies and moving freely about the town. Um, you, I'm just kidding. You can't say that about the first one. <laughs> but, the, but, the other, but the other three, there is a level of hope, you know. In dawn, they fly off in the helicopter. In day, they get to their beach. And here, they're going off to start a new town. But Romero's world is so is so good at presenting the omnipresent dread that's going on is that there's only narrow victories. There's only shallow victories. There's only brief respites. Like there is not victory because the dead get up when they're killed and it's only a matter of time. And so this movie again follows that pattern of, well, who knows if they can make it? But they're going to drive out and try something new. And who knows if it, like you said, doesn't turn into this uh, class-based capitalism nightmare. (laughs) There is very obvious uh, class sort of struggles going on. There's also sort of very obvious war on terror allegories going on. Um, I did think it was weird when zombie Kanye West said that Dennis Hopper didn't care about black people. (laughs) That's, yeah, that's... A little on the nose. (laughs) That's the Wayans Brothers version of of Land of the Dead. (laughs) 
Call the zombie <laughs> tower. <laughs> um, John John Leguizamo is also in that one. Point out real quick. John Leguizamo almost never phones it in, and John Leguizamo is is funny and charming in almost everything he does. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, so uh, except the, his uh, his one man Broadway show. I liked it when I was young, but I haven't seen oh, it in literally a decade. I saw it when I was young, and I think maybe it's not unfair because I was expecting a. Uh, a stand-up special or something, uh, not like um, not like a parody of like those like one-man uh, Broadway <laughs> shows you saw in The Simpsons. I was I, I was expecting a comedy. It was you know I was like in college and we just got HBO oh stand-up special. Love stand-up specials. You never get to see them. And it's like this this is just Tim talking about how he slept with an older woman and it changed his life and. It's not very funny. And then towards the end, he's talking about having like a wife and family and talking about how much he likes to drink his wife's breast milk. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't <laughs> care. Well, I think it was called Freak. Yeah, I, I saw that one. He has a couple. He has a couple of those. I think some of I think they got like uh, more stand up as they went. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I was just I was just not uh, not in the right mood for. For whatever I was watching. So I, it's probably unfair to say it's not good. One-man shows are typically horrible. Baseball, the crack of the bat. <laughs> <laughs> Brooklyn, 1945. My mother's in the kitchen making scones or some shit. We didn't care what we had and we didn't have a care in the world. And that's the way we liked it. Duke Ellington was on the radio, but I couldn't hear it because I was the Duke. In, I was out in the backyard. <laughs> Playing stickball. Oh, playing stickball with the boys. <laughs> Jimmy, come over here. Grab the ball. Let's go have a game of the old stickball. Oh, uh, oh, Jimmy oh died in Vietnam 10 years later. <laughs> but for now, we were having a good time. Oh, look, it's Johnny Legs. That's what we called our friend Johnny, who had no legs. It was pretty mean, but hey, what can you say about kids? <laughs> I say we stop doing Land of the Dead and do the rest of this episode as a fully improvised one-man show where we just tag team it. <laughs> they say you don't have better enemies than when you were 12. Jesus, does anybody? <laughs> Anyways, but my, my 12-year-old neighbor grew up to be Adolf Hitler. <laughs> The Pope porked my mom and The Pope of Greenwich Village, as we called them. Because <laughs> we were confused. <laughs> my point is that the movie has uh, very obvious class and race allegories. John Leguizamo is this dude, this, uh, you know, Hispanic dude, a person of color being forced to do this menial hard labor for a chance, you know, chance at the top with Kaufman. And then as soon as he pays all of his dues, he's ready to go. Kaufman turns him down for some bullshit that's what kicks off the, the the whole movie is someone trying to get like a recompense because the system promised them as a lower person that they could become a low, uh, upper person that you know this the capitalist promise the american dream prom was promised to him and it was denied to him as soon as he had done all the fucking work yeah and it's uh you know a good good satire allegory for kind of the the higher class the rich people the one percent whatever you want to call them or that poor lower classes are interchangeable like you know john Leguizamo's character thought that he was building a level of loyalty by uh, not just doing the job he was hired for but going out of his way to impress him and you know grabbing him extra stuff like cigars and stuff that he hadn't ordered but he knew that he liked and that level of like trust and faith only existed in in john Leguizamo's head Dennis Hopper 
didn't feel that. He felt like he was a a servant or a tool to get him what it, what he wants. And I think you're right. You know, Peter, you mentioned how more rele- how this continues to feel more relevant. And I agree. This this feels even you know this was a Bush allegory and a Bush satire. It feels even more relevant. Uh, under Trump in the same way they say about like, oh, well, Arrested Development was about Bush, but holy cow, it feels like it applies even more under Trump because Trump is like the Red Bull version of George W. Bush. And that kind of, um, because especially in this context, it's so stupid. It is just people in like a 10 city block radius and there's like this group of, you know, they're still exchanging money and there's this group of people that uh, that's that have all the power. It's ridiculous that we allow that to happen in a country of 350 million people. But this is like 500 people, and they're just letting like 20 dudes rule over them. It doesn't make any sense. And but the way that they are able to kind of keep everyone doing their bidding is two ways: distraction. Which Dennis Hopper says pretty outright. Like, that's why we have the sex shows, the zombie fighting, all that kind of stuff. And with this, the the false promise of the American dream. Like, hey, these condos are open. You work hard. We'll let you live here, too. It, it kind of stands in, obviously, like you said, it stands in for a bunch of uh, types of oppression. Um, also, obviously, if you're speaking within the bubble of the Fiddler's Green, there's one type of oppression. There's a different type of oppression in the outside bubble, which is what they're doing to the the zombies that are in the areas where the Fiddler Green people need their resources from. Yeah. Uh, so there's this, there's a, there's levels of uh, oppression that just get passed down the line, and it's all gets justified with like I'm paying my, you know I'm uh, I'm paying my dues so I can get my nut. And people just don't quite put the pieces together that they will never be Kaufman. Even the people next to Kaufman don't get the pieces put the pieces together that they'll never be Kaufman. No, because everybody's fucking each other over all the way up the line. Uh, So I don't know if you ever read John Ronson's book, The Psychopath Test. I did, but but it was this idea of like the 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 reason that certain people succeed in business uh, is you know that there's a higher level of sociopaths among the CEO and top executive level than there is among the general population. And it's because they don't let their interpersonal connections and empathy stop, stop them from their goals of, of gaining control or power. This is a really great example of that, where Dennis Hopper's – where Dennis Hopper's in, in this movie is because he's willing to shoot the other board members in the face when he thinks uh, he needs to just buy himself a little time. And that's probably something that they wouldn't do. So they're – I don't want to say human decency because they're still on this executive team at Fiddler's Green, this class-based oppressive system. He has killers under his march too. I mean he sends yeah. out those three – the three like uh, mercs to join Simon Baker's crew. Yeah, exactly. So he – I mean that kind of ability to create – empty promises and just be a little bit more evil than the people standing next to you uh, so that they don't they don't even expect it allows you know a, a level of control and power that kind of um, would be very easily uh, surmountable it would not be hard for the other people on that board to stop him but Dennis Hopper has probably helped fill it with the type of people that he knows 
don't have the same sociopathy level as he does. Don't have the same level of sociopathy or don't have the same level of competence. Yeah. Like, they don't have the same um, the same ability to just uh, step on him. Like, he's looking at them and he's like, you serve my specific purposes. Uh, there is, and, and I have no fear of you, right? Like, he knows that he yeah. can crush them like a bug. And the funny thing is that, like, Dennis Hopper, when the, mo- the shit finally comes down, Dennis Hopper doesn't even have somebody to kill his exact board member for him he has to do it himself in this really awkward scene like he has he has complete confidence in his it, it, it's a really funny like black like one of my favorite that's my that's my favorite uh that or that's not my favorite scene it's, it's the so funny funny scene in the movie people yeah. make fun of that scene like oh they should have really? shot a second ta- yes but i'm like guys it's not that they didn't shoot a second take it's that this take is fucking magic yeah you don't ruin fucking magic <laughs> It, you don't it, ask the magician how his trick's done. Like, it's supposed to be funny. It's supposed to be this, like, really awkward scene of, like, Dennis Hopper, like, oh, wait, get down. And then caps him, um, where he actually... And then that call is so funny, which is, uh, uh, I wish ooh. you would have told me that. <laughs> I did something I might have not done otherwise. <laughs> That's the other thing, is that each one of these movies does not take place in a continuum. I Every time I watch them, I'm like, yeah, for sure, Land of the Dead takes place after, or, you know, for sure, uh, Dawn of the Dead is supposed to take place right after Night of the Living Dead. And I realize, I'm like, no, at the end of Night of the Living Dead, you're supposed to think, like, more or less the zombie shit is over. And then Dawn of the Dead starts, and you're like, well, zombie, uh, Dawn of the Dead and the zombie thing is supposed to be completely fresh, too. And in Day of the Dead, you're like, maybe Day of the Dead and Dawn are connected, but that's as close as, as you can get, I think. I think Land is a completely new uh, apocalypse, especially because, like, um, uh, I, I, I think they all work as the same. It's kind of like it's the Mystery Science Series 2000. It's like, look, they were made over 50 years. Like, it's you should just relax. I mean, I, I don't think they're supposed to be like, but I, I, I just think, like, trying to connect them all is like some sort of weird, like, the zombie virus that started in, you know, the 60s and moved its way through. But that's what's so great is there is no – I want to I want to highlight that again. Like, there is no virus. It's just a thing there, that fucked up in our world. It's just, a, it's just a thing that happened. And, yeah, so the time, you know, I, maybe this all takes place over 50 years. Maybe it's 15 years. Like, maybe you have to redo some time stuff. Because really, like, yeah, night to dawn almost seems like dawn's happening at the same, like, afternoon as, like, the end of night. You know? and But I, but I like that because even though they're not, you know, they're not supposed to be so consistent in that, yep, these are all in the same universe – Tonally, they are, because it does feel like there is an escalation with each one. You know, night, you have the start of it. Dawn, you kind of have the the middle of it while there's, while there's still a level of civilization left. Day is where civilization has been wiped out, and land is when civilization has been rebuilt in a new form. Um... One thing Roger Ebert mentioned in his review of this movie that I always found fascinating to ponder a version of this or any zombie movie was he was kind of interested in this movie without any action, uh, without any action from the zombies, I should say, specifically. That, like, you get a sense of here's this town, Fiddler's Green, and it's the society that exists in a city, 
with the prize and the higher class being in a building. And then like throughout the movie, you just see zombies walking around outside and they never get in and they never stop anything. But just this idea of it's a movie set in a zombie apocalypse where the zombies never become a part of the plot. They're just a part of the dressing. Yeah, it, this it would have made a better movie here. I just thought it was – I still remember reading that all that years ago and, man, yeah, that would be – that would be a very interesting experiment for someone to do. Like, yeah, it's set in a zombie apocalypse, but it's actually about a uh, robbery gone bad. <laughs> I do like the idea of so, – because the problem is like zombie movies are such a like uh, exciting thing for a filmmaker that like – you either are on the team of making a zombie movie or you're not. So like you're either going to make a really good zombie movie that you're proud of. That's the other thing is you have to be, if you're going to make a good zombie movie, you have to be proud of that fact. Um, You can't just be like, eh, I'm going to make a movie that has happens to have some zombies in it. I'm not going to put much thought into it. You're going to make a garbage movie Um, with this. Like the idea is like you make a zombie movie <laughs> and then you like push them off to the corner like that that is really interesting to me. Yeah, like why does like if you're making a romantic comedy, why does it need to be set in like 2017? Why could it be set um on a space station or a zombie apocalypse, but the space station and the zombie apocalypse never factor into the plot. <laughs> I think it's cuz I think it's purely because it would be so fucking distracting. Cuz like it'd be, kinda, would, it'd be just... so frustrating for for an audience like <laughs> Okay, so why was there zombies? Oh, well, this takes this takes place in the in the dawn of the dead universe, but it's like a standard deliver. It would be yeah, it'd be the Chekhov zombie apocalypse where it's just like, oh man, sorry I'm late for work. Uh, I was working down at the the zombie gate and they were getting real riled up. But don't worry, no one got bit today. Uh, no one has been bit for months actually because of our safety standards. And you're just like, yeah, we- but, but something has to happen with the zombies, right? My guess is it came to Roger Ebert watching this movie because you could almost make this movie where the zombies never get smart and never like trample Fiddler's Green and the town is destroyed through like – like they're still zombies and they're still going out and trying to like steal supplies. Uh, And then maybe there's like a – you know, John Legazama can't get into Fiddler's Green. He steals the truck, threatens terrorist action. Like you could still make an extremely compelling movie, all of that with – zombies as the backdrop but that they never like get smart and break into the town uh yeah you could they're they're just an omnipresent threat of like why people are stuck in this town why leguizamo can't be like well i'm moving to cleveland then that's why you can't have it be a purely just a sideline thing it needs to be at least like this is why people are in this one place and why they don't just go make a town you know two miles over yeah can't get the permits because all the city hall people are dead. Because the government. And and without permits, aren't we basically zombies? Yeah. I also want to just jump right into it. So we didn't talk about that much how this movie is definitely a 9-11 allegory and also a sort of a uh, war on terror allegory um, before even 9-11. The idea that we go out and raid uh, other countries and treat these people like non-people yeah and then they uh come and strike back at us and then they're like what what you have no right <laughs> like yeah that's a perfect line well everyone's surprise and anger at the zombies is is always so funny 
Like they they take it personal. Yeah. No one expects the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> I know Michael Moore sucks and like it's fun to make fun of him and like we all wish he would go away. But now Fahrenheit, he, was, he was fine. Fahrenheit 9-11 was a very important movie to all of us back in the day. And him and George Romero are the two filmmakers I think of that were willing to tell Americans after 9-11 like, listen, this is the reason the attack happened. Start paying attention to global politics and what we're doing in a global scale. And maybe you'll get outraged enough to make less enemies of America. Like George Romero, I think of George Romero and Michael Moore as the two people that were within five years of 9-11 saying, hey, we bear a burden on this. Yeah. And that was, I mean, it's kind of amazing looking back because I was, so I was 18 and I was, a, the the 9-11 attacks happened when I was, it was like two weeks into my first year of college. The amount of people, including me for like a while, because I wasn't all that political and probably leaned Republican at the time because that's like, you know, my parents hated Clinton and I didn't care that much about the news. And I was like... Oh, yeah, they hate us because of our freedom. Like, the fact that, like, 70, 80% of our country bought into that narrative is so, like, stupid. <laughs> like, in retrospect, yeah. Oh, yeah. like, fine, I was a dumb 18-year-old who hadn't paid attention to global politics. But if you're 30 years old and you're like, man, these these people over there, they just one day decided, hmm, I, I don't like that uh, – I don't know, movie rentals are so cheap or whatever they've... I'm going to go destroy, like, the, the lack of knowledge. And you're right. Fahrenheit 9-11 and Land of the Dead. And, I mean, the reason that I kind of changed my political views and even got into politics and started reading about what was going on in the world at all was Bowling for Columbine. Like, I, I watched that movie because I liked movies and it was getting good reviews. And I walked out of that, like... Oh, you got to do some reading, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, because uh, it, it kind of goes into a little bit about 9-11 in that movie, too. And like over the next couple of years, I totally transformed to uh, elitist, progressive garbage person or white. I don't even remember all the I, I started liking the lamestream media, <laughs> but like it really was uh, Bowling for Columbine and Fahrenheit 9 uh, 11 uh, that – well, Fahrenheit and 11 reinforced. But it was Bowling for Columbine. It was Michael Moore that kind of made me take notice to maybe everything I was seeing on our rah-rah pro-military NBC, uh, let's go to war with Iraq. So I remember being one of my only friends in college for a while that was like against the war in Iraq because people forget too. Uh, it didn't start till 2003. So let's see, 2003. I would have been 12. I for sure was for the war in Iraq because I was a 12-year-old and just wanted to see the people that hurt us get hurt. Yeah. In my brain, I had heard that there were terrorists there and I was like, you know what? Even if it's not them, we're fixing shit over there. It is so insane how easily you can trick people into narratives like that and just get No, and ev everyone was everyone was for it. Oh, my God. Yeah. Democrats, Republicans, liberals. How many people out there like apologized and was like, oh, I can't believe I voted for that. But like we forget it was a year and a half after the attacks. Um, it, you know, when, when when I think back, it feels like one continuum uh, from 9-11 to 
to the war in Iraq. So this movie was, you know, we're talking 2002, 2003, I think it was late 2002 that we started the war in Iraq. And it's, it is kind of though amazing. So 2005, when this movie came out, was like right before Katrina. And essentially, people had almost completely turned on the war and Bush in general. And then Katrina was like the nail in that coffin. This movie, when it came out, felt a lot more like preaching to the choir. But you you realize when it was made and when it was conceived, it was very much uh, against the mainstream of, yeah, we should go kill everyone in Iraq. Why wouldn't we? (laughs) And P.S. We bear no responsibility for 9/11. There's no, I, there's no such thing as cause and effect. Well, we're mad, and they're there. Close enough. <laughs> uh, Asia Argento's really good. I wish she had more to do. She's actually really good because there's a line that's like uh, a character who goes in and she says something like kind of embarrassing. She goes like, she says like. You can call me Motown. And then Asia Argento does like a quick like, oh, okay, like bad <laughs> reaction. And I'm like, thank you. Thank you so much because that line is so terrible. And, and and I wish that she were more of a, a powerhouse in this movie, though. She just like I was saying, I think a lot of actors in this movie own the dialogue. They treat it like it's Shakespeare. They do their best their best job with it. I really, really love a character I didn't mention at all is Charlie. Yeah. I think Charlie's a great character. Feels like a one-note joke to give you a fake-out zombie scare because we, when we first see Charlie, he's slowly approaching Simon Baker and half of his face is scarred. So you, you are like, oh, this is going to be a zombie and it's not. So it could, it could really have just been that. Like, oh, this is a good fake-out. Now I don't need to write a character for. But then Robert Joy puts so much humanity in him where you feel – not pity, because that would be really unfair. You feel a sense of like warmness for him because he is such he's such an earnest character who just like lives by a code. He's really close to Simon Baker. He kind of is the humanity of Simon Baker that Simon Baker's trying to shuck off. Um and everybody like wants to be Charlie's friend, basically, like in the group, because Charlie is like a good shooter, he's reliable, he's loyal. And he just he just wants to do he just wants to feel useful. There's this whole subplot about wanting to feel useful um, because Simon Baker is trying to become this like pragmatic man back on the road. He's like, I don't need to be a part of the society, but like I'm going to take my fair share and get the fuck out of here. John Leguizamo it wants to take his his fair share and use it uh, to reach the top. Simon Baker is his foil. He wants to take his fair share and get the fuck out of there because Simon Baker designed Dead Reckoning, this zombie-killing monster machine, which is so fucking cool. So much cooler than the Dawn of the Dead remake is Chainsaw Mobile because uh, it's like this like versatile little like fucking war RV. <laughs> well, and it doesn't get... Uh... It doesn't get breached like that. Like it, it actually like at one point they leave open a door and a zombie gets in. But I was surprised I, the first time I saw it, that Dead Reckoning just survives to the end of the movie. A OK. Dead Reckoning is something that you would expect at some point in the movie to get destroyed because it's such a in a horror movie. You want like your um, 
your safe houses and your your safe places to get destroyed in a horror movie. You want to you feel completely vulnerable, but instead it's this like hot potato item that people are like passing around. Yeah, this one's fine. Like they designed it really well. It's good. It's yeah, a good, good. It's a good design. Um, that's why that's why they've survived for twenty years in this town. Yeah, the only thing that makes me wonder how they survived for twenty years of this town is uh, it's a lot of people to make sure they don't get sick and rise back. From the dead. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like you know four what? people in a mall, they lost 25% of the group. Oh, my God. Yeah. And that was a big deal. That's that's a big deal. Population trap wise. Do you get the sense in this movie they only lost rich people? Uh, big Daddy was going to Fiddler's Green because that's what he saw on the horizon. So all the people that didn't live in Fiddler's Green, they went out and hid in their slums. And that's why when they're looking out at the end of the movie and they're like, ah, oh, shit, all dead. And then like all the, the lower class, the poor people come out. They're like, never mind. <laughs> all good. So once again, pays to not be in, you know, your big shiny tower because that's where the revolution's coming, bub. But not bub from Day of the Dead. Just a general bub. Uh, I think Bub is a nicer dude than Big Daddy, but Big Daddy has big ambitions. Bub just wants revenge, simple, plain, but he's a sweetie, obviously. Um, Sweetie Report this week. Sweetie Report this week. I can't put Big Daddy on the sweeties. I'm sorry to say, but I can't put Charlie on the sweeties. Would you say that to Jesus fucking Christ? (laughs) Jesus wasn't much of a sweetie. He was more of a... No, he's more like a firebrand revolutionary type. Yeah. That's what you're saying? Not, not much of, a, not much of a, a sweetie. Holy Ghost is really the sweetie of the Trinity. Though, he, isn't he the only one you can't make fun of and get forgiven for? You can't talk shit about him or... Straight to hell. Straight to hell. It's like double Although, mortal sin, right? It's like, yeah, it's like a double, triple secret mortal sin probation. You're <laughs> fucked forever. That's why I remember hearing that growing up and like even when I was like toying with atheism, I'll be like, I'll leave fucking with the Holy Spirit for later. Yeah. I, no, I remember being scared of that for a little bit. Like, eh, well, if I'm wrong, this is out of luck. And then later I was like, wait, so 95% of this is bullshit, but that 5% I'm saving is just like cool. Never mind. We'll save it for pots not dead. Um, but you know who doesn't have loopholes, has a simple, clean message? The real Jesus Christ. Big Daddy. Uh, and he, Adam Sandler. No, Peter. Big. It's, it's the movie we watch. It's, Adam Sandler was in Land of the Lost. Who's Large Papa? <laughs> Tall Father? <laughs> um, uh, no, so at the end, though, Big Daddy has a pretty impressive goal that uh, in a vacuum looks really weird and stupid. Like the fact because he never meets Dennis Hopper, but he has a pretty like strong drive to kill Dennis Hopper for unclear reasons. But here's why it works. And it especially works in the unrated version. This movie's practical effects are dope as shit. <laughs> like there, there's way less CGI than I remembered. And I'll oh tell my you God, what the, I remember it being so much more. It's only oh really yeah. one really bad shot. And that pre you're talking about the pre scene, right? Yes. So that pre-scene where the head flips back up, I saw this in theaters. I don't – you know, this is this is that kind of how now bad C- CGI as we've seen better looks different. But I saw this in theaters and remember that and remember that being awesome. 
Like, I'm like, oh, that's so cool. So it did not look goofy to me in 2004. It looked awesome. 2005 when I saw this movie. It's on theaters. Oh, I saw it in a preview in 2004. Or I forgot what year it was. <laughs> so, you be the judge. Uh, the audience can live with that mystery. Um, so when I saw it, I was like, that that one shot really bugged me because it's like all CGI. There's a couple like CGI blood squirts that kind of bother me. But like there's so much crazy good gore effects going on. You get to see actually Greg Nicotero is so proud of his work that Greg Nicotero volunteered to get eaten on screen in this. He gets his eye eaten out in a shot that's really amazing. You know, what's the grossest one to you? The worst one is probably there's an ammo dump scene where someone is a zombie is reaching inside someone's mouth to pull out their insides. Mm, that's a good one. That makes me gross. There's also, well, Aaron, Aaron what's what's the gross one for you? I'm not gonna be belly button ring. Belly button ring makes me cringe so hard. It used to be my <laughs> worst one for some reason. The mouth one has taken over. Maybe it's because I've gotten some dentistry done recently. The mouth one is really bothering me. The belly button. Once one you learned so how bad. Simon Baker uses belly buttons, it was less gross. To you. <laughs> <laughs> but the, my favorite gore effect in the whole movie. When a guy's about to toss a grenade at the zombies, uh, not Machete Zombie, which is note, Tom Savini is returning as his character from Dawn of the Dead as a Machete Zombie. Note it. There's a, Did you note it? We, we're pausing the podcast. There's Write a butcher zombie who chops off the grenade hand of a man about to throw grenades at, at, at zombies. The grenade falls on the ground. The guy just collapses on top of the grenade and then blows up. Yeah, it is amazing special effect because it is impractical and it looks so good. Looks so good. So obviously this was the first one to get a rating. It got an R rating. It was shown in theaters. I uh, would highly recommend seeking out the unrated DVD. But one thing that's really cool about even the R rated version is that they they didn't edit out parts. What they did is they they basically filmed and they didn't film two versions. So what you're seeing is the same uh, the same version that you're seeing in the unrated version. It's just for some of the really gross effects that would have got them a NC-17 movie. Uh, things were different back in 2005. There wasn't constant gross murder shows on network television, but oh back God. then it would have would have got an unrated uh, would have got a NC-17. What they did is they just obstructed the view with like zombies walking or someone doing something or like a piece of background. So. Which I actually think is really cool. So, you know, if you're watching different versions, you're not seeing different scenes. You're not seeing different takes. You're not getting like a CGI less bloody version that looks stupid in the R-rated version. You just have more shuffling zombies in front of the camera blocking some of the really gross moments and letting it be implied. Yeah, it uh, it's kind of the ideal unrated cut because like... Other than... They just move those people out of the way. Yeah. (laughs) It's not like it's an alternate cut thing where people are still talking about the fucking Aliens director's cut thing with the uh, prologue where Newt is running around the base and all that shit. People are still, like, arguing whether or not that prologue is worthwhile. This is the ultimate director's cut. It's like, yeah, it's just awesome gore added in. Yeah. And no, it's, it's 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 great. It's it helps it's the, the same movie, movie just with just a lot more people ripping out people's intestines from their mouth, uh, and that is a beautiful thing. <laughs> and that's a beautiful uh, thing. 
So, uh, yeah. Final thoughts, Peter? I, I can go first. You can you can kind of wrap up this month uh, a little bit. Um, I'll just say, like, you know, I, I think f- tone-wise, tone this, this really is kind of the final Romero Dead movie. I don't think it's as good a capper to the series as Day is in your head canon, so to speak. But this is still very much a piece with those first three uh, masterpieces. And it's... You know, it's a it's a lot of fun, and it's great that we were able to get one chance, really one chance, to see what Romero could do with a budget that was uh, more than just uh, here's enough to barely squeak by, uh, but you know, actually do something a little bit more substantive and on a bigger scale. Uh, it's not you know Bruckheimer levels of budget. Um, I don't know why I went with him, but. So, yeah, so this, I mean, but this is really great. Again, I uh, highly recommend tracking down the unrated version because uh, this has some of the best gore effects. Uh, and w- when, all, like, all these movies, for the most part, end with the zombies going nuts and eating people, uh, this has some really, really, really great stuff. But, yeah, I, I really I really like it. I think it gets a bad rap. I think it gets lumped in a little bit too much with Diary, which is, like, a classic three-star movie. Uh, which is like, yeah, it was interesting. Uh, and Survival, which is like made for sci-fi zombie movie that somehow George Romero um, made. And it is bad, bad, bad. So, so Peter, what are what are your kind of final thoughts as we wrap up both, both this movie and the month? Yes, it's Romero's last great movie, last uh, really good movie, a movie that feels like it's of a piece with itself. Um, I think Diary of the Dead is a very interesting, uh, ambitious experiment. It was his attempt to try and it was his last attempt to try and be relevant. Survival of the Dead is uh, him saying, I'm going to make a movie for me. It's kind of like my goodbye to zombie movies. It's very unambitious and it's very small and it's very like focused um, and that it has its own charms in that way, but it's just not a movie I really like at all. Um, yeah. This is the last movie that feels like its own its own piece. And yes, it has flaws. Like I said, the dialogue is kind of clunky. It has zero subtlety. Yeah. <laughs> but as we've said on the show, subtlety is fucking overrated. I think I think a lot of times like there is a uh, pretension around how people communicate these messages. And I really like that George was just like, fuck it. I'm going to say exactly how I feel in 2005 2004 we've already entered another war we're knee deep in another war two wars yeah. in the middle east like i love that george was willing to say that before most of us had even turned the tide on the iraq war let alone afghanistan so george always kind of felt like he was ahead of the curve on so much of this stuff uh dawn of the dead kicked off so much of what uh, we consider horror movies, not just in terms of gore, not just in terms of like how story structure, but also in terms of like how much outright political commentary you could put into a movie. George was never subtle. He was decrying malls in 1978. Like they had to kind of explain what a mall was in that movie. (laughs) Like, like that's how ahead of his time he was. He like saw a mall was like, well, this is going to destroy the fabric of our civilization. And guess what? He was right on some level. Oh, I mean, it did definitely like malls itself are going away. But the way that we consume things and the sort of like 
a super aggressive marketplace that we force people to be competitive with prices and force people to be competitive with items has really changed the way we work online as well. So he was really right in how he was really right in how these uh, the, the these malls would affect our culture and how consumerism would get affected. And but he wasn't subtle. I mean, Night of the Living Dead is his most subtle movie. And that's still a movie that features a lot of people yelling in each other's faces from three feet away. And Yeah, and do you think – could you tell that those rednecks were supposed to be the villains? <laughs> like, it was super subtle, but you could catch some cues about their behavior. Subtle nods from the director that he did not care for them. Uh, he also doesn't care for the military jackasses in Day of the Dead. Um, no. that also um, anti-military stance in Reagan's eighties. So yeah, I feel like people slamming this movie on how unsubtle it is, and I'm like, have you seen a George Romero movie? Because he tells you how he feels pretty much outright. Um, yeah, he's against dependent care monkeys. <laughs> I wanted to. I also want to say, Salim called it out really well the other day on the Dawn of the Dead episode. Salim said. That Martin is his most artful movie in the sense that Martin is his, his most like elegant movie. I completely agree. I think yeah. that, uh, I, I, but I think that this movie has its place as well as this big, bold, brash movie that came at this perfect time during the War on Terror, where people, a couple people, especially me as like a budding liberal at age fourteen or whatever, needed to be told that like there were people that thought like me, and there were people that were fucking mad at Bush too, and didn't get why we were invading countries and why we were se- stepping ourselves into this like century of pain that we're in the middle of. No, it's a really good point, and uh, uh, the, and it's. I think that if Romero was alive today, uh, there would be a hell of a fucking zombie movie he'd be making in a couple of years about oh my what God. we're going through. So, I think, the, I think the Trump election would have gotten him roused up, would have gotten him active yeah. again. It happened with Joe Dante too, um, and yeah. Don Coscarelli. Both of them were like after after um, a few years of Bush, a few years of uh, Republican politics, uh, you know, getting pushed on, on our faces uh, through Fox News and shit. Don Coscarelli and Joe Dante were like, we're going to make some movies that have some thoughts. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Uh, Homecoming, the Masters of Horror episode is like the calling card for that series to this day, which was very much uh, anti-Iraq, anti-Iraq horror movie. So And unsubtle. So yeah, this was great. Yeah, very unsubtle. <laughs> they registered a, the zombies registered a vote at the end. Uh, yeah. So, um, so yeah, this was a lot of fun. I'm glad we decided to do this. I wish it was under different circumstances, but uh, Peter, this was a blast. Thank you for having me on 75 percent of the episodes. Uh, hope to be back for all 100 uh, percent next month. Aaron, you are a great guest. I'd love to have you on for 52 more episodes, and then we'll talk about your contract after that. How's that sound? I'm just glad you gave me this chance. (laughs) Uh, So uh, next week, we're switching to a very Shane Black Christmas, a little horror movie break, Uh, actually based on our our list, maybe for for the next few months, but we'll, we'll keep some of those secrets, keep it close to our chest, keep it hidden. Keep it tattooed on our hearts like a long lost love. Uh, anyways, yeah, next week's Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Uh, and then 
Oh, no. Let me take that again. Anyways, uh, next week is uh, Iron Man 3. We're kicking it off with Douglas uh, Lamont uh, talking about uh, Shane Black's Marvel movie. That's going to be followed by Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. That's a Pete and Aaron joint. Uh, and then we are wrapping up with Lethal Weapon with Zach Groton. And Long Kiss Goodnight with, with again... It's an it's an AA and a PBM episode. <laughs> I was gonna try to do the nicknames like we did Land of the Dead, and then I forgot what I was doing, and it came out like I threw up in my mouth a little. Aaron, when you throw up in your mouth, you give it's wings throwing up to human listeners. remains because I'm a zombie. <laughs> <laughs> did you get? Hey, just real quick, as long as we're done with this month, did you guys get it? Did you get that I was a zombie? Was it too subtle? You think, Guess what, Peter? Folks, he was dead the whole time. I'm really dead. Oh, <laughs> I'm going to jail. <laughs> I hope you're dead. They don't send zombies to jail because it's considered. That's where they keep all the brains locked up and fresh. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. <sighs> Brain trust. Want to hear about that <laughs> on the internet. So, Aaron, <laughs> thank you so much. For yeah, let's being a friend. <laughs> oh, so Aaron, the fact that you as a as a Z word and me as a who Ooh, man, that's, that's our word. Yeah, yeah. I just wanted to nod at you that I'm not going to say it. Um, no, zombie, everyone can say, but Z word is literally our word. <laughs> oh, sorry, we zombie. don't. Zombie. We, yeah, we don't. We don't like the abbreviation. Uh, we feel it's uh, facile and uh, patronizing. <laughs> Thank you so much for for educating me um, on my privilege, uh, my living privilege. I feel like you have the privilege because you are literally going to live forever. Yeah, I, I mean, hopefully, if if I, I mean, eventually, I might run out of neighbors and get tired and weak. I would love to run out of neighbors. Let me tell you, me. <laughs> Good night, folks. <laughs> <laughs> We're really ending on a bad uh, stand-up special that you're not getting of the full hour. That was your <laughs> comic standing up, and you are canceled, and thank you for the shot. At least you got to meet Whoopi Goldberg and Billy Crystal. <laughs> Good night! <laughs> Good night. Thanks for listening to We Love to Watch. Thank you so much for listening to our show. And we've got just a few quick announcements for you. There ain't nothing in the rule book that says that we can't do some of our own plugs, baby. If you'd like to talk to us, uh, tell us we're stupid. Tell us we're beautiful. The quickest way to get to us is our Facebook group, facebook.com slash we love to watch. Or our website, WLTWpodcast.com. Leave us a comment. Tell us we're doing a good job. Only tell us we're doing a good job. We're so sensitive. We're sensitive boys. We're soft boys. And uh, if you'd like to help other people, if you enjoy our show and want other people to be able to listen to this fine, fine program that we produce at no cost, 
We don't get any money for this. You guys have yet to pay us anything. We live and we breathe off of good reviews from iTunes. So if you would please go to iTunes, review our show, give us a positive rating. We would love to get more and more people involved in this show and this community. I know you hear it all the time, but it really does help. And we're also available, if you don't use iTunes, we're also available on Google Music, Stitcher, TuneIn. We're currently on SoundCloud. We'll take that out if SoundCloud goes away. (laughs) That's it. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned, guys, on our Facebook page especially. We're going to have a lot more polls, a lot more prizes, and a lot more uh, interaction with you guys. So keep it tuned in. Uh, Let us know what you guys are thinking. And again, above all else, thanks for listening to We Love to Watch.